Welcome to the Cedar Fort Come Follow Me Made Easier podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cherry. This week, we are going to be hearing from Robert Miller, the author of Isaiah, A Prophet's Prophet. And Robert is going to be helping us to get a grip on the book of Deuteronomy. We hope that you remember to subscribe, like, and share our podcast with your friends, and please leave comments about things you're enjoying, questions you might have, and anything you'd like us to be able to discuss with you. Now, speaking of great books like Robert's, we want to remind you that Cedar Fort is offering a 20% off to all of our podcast viewers and listeners. When you go to cedarfort.com, simply use the code podcast20 at checkout. Thank you. I'm so glad you're with us today. I'm Brother Miller, and I hope you've been enjoying these series of podcasts and the variety of, of voices and perspectives, and I hope that some of the things you learned today can help you, because Deuteronomy to me, the focus is, it's like Moses' last chance to speak to the children of Israel, and it's a summary. What does Moses want us to understand and remember from his experiences in his life and really how he can come closer to the Lord? Deuteronomy is known as the book of remembrance. Let me just tell you two, 10 things about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means literally second law or repetition of the law, because in this book, Moses repeats many of the laws and commandments that were part of Israel's covenant with the Lord. Deuteronomy contains Moses' final words, including three great final sermons. So the first one's chapters one through four, the second one's five through 26, and the third one is 27 through 30. These three final sermons were given to the children of Israel before they entered the land of Canaan with Joshua as their leader. Moses is the author of Deuteronomy. After he, it's been about 40 years since the children of Israel have left Egypt, and that's when he writes this. The final chapter of Deuteronomy does account, makes an account of Moses' death, but there are other scriptures that help us understand that that's not really what happened. Matthew 17, 3 through 4 you got Mark 9, 4 through 9, Luke 9, 30, and Alma 45, 19 clarify that Moses was not, was not dead, did not die, but was translated. When Moses delivered the sermons in Deuteronomy, he and the other Israelites were camped on the east side of the Jordan River, just outside the promised land of Canaan. There is no official doctrine about when Deuteronomy was written and the other five books, really, for that matter. We can guess, but we just don't know. Moses' first great sermon in Deuteronomy is an introduction. The second focuses on the Ten Commandments and the code of laws that have been given to Israel. The third sermon contains a renewal of the covenant, an explanation of the blessings of obedience, and the curse of disobedience. The instructions in Deuteronomy were specifically given to a new, new generation. The old generation had died in the 40 years as they've been wandering in the wilderness, and now the new generation Moses wanted to emphasize the things, kind of a summary of what's most important, what matters most. Of the five books of Moses, Deuteronomy is the most quoted of Old Testament prophets. And I have found if you want to understand the book of Isaiah, you have to understand Deuteronomy. The better you understand Deuteronomy, the better you can understand Isaiah. Deuteronomy is quoted or alluded to almost 100 times in the New Testament. And Jesus uses verses from Deuteronomy to dismiss the temptations of, of Satan and explain which commandment was the greatest in the law. So 
one of the things for me is as I start, if I'm teaching a class, I kind of think of the last sermon kind of idea. And if you were Moses, and we've been studying Moses for months now, and if you wanted to give one last sermon, in your last speech, what would you say? What would you emphasize? And maybe just have that discussion about, okay, what would you emphasize? Now let's study what he emphasized. There are some themes in Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Number one is prophets. Two, the idea of remembering. One of the most important words in all of scripture may be remember. And there's this visual, some uh, object lessons that are happening. One big visual one is Joseph or Moses is in one, the prophet, who brings Israel to the land of promise. But really, it's going to be Christ that ultimately delivers us to the land of promise. And you see that woven in through all the book of Deuteronomy. There's uh, the idea of you what you got to do to live in the promised land. Now, I know Deuteronomy chapter 4 is not part of the Come Follow Me reading, but let me just start there. In verse 1, to get to the promised land, Moses emphasizes, hearken, that's listen and obey Israel, to the statutes and unto the judgments which I shall teach you. For, here's the purpose, to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land. In verse 4, if you want to not just get in a promised land, but the promised land, cleave unto the Lord. And then maybe a little reiteration, verse 6, there, keep therefore and do them. You've got to keep them in your mind. You've got to keep them in your heart and do them. For this is your wisdom. Wisdom is that practical application of knowledge and your understanding. And then you got verse 9, take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. That word heed is a Hebrew word, samar, which means to keep, to guard, to observe, to give heed, keep watch or protect. Protect thyself. Give heed. Keep watch of yourself. Guard yourself. I like that emphasis on observing, protecting, keeping a watch on yourself so that, going back to what he's been saying, you don't forget. So these things don't depart from your heart. So you'll teach your, the commandments to your children and your grandchildren. Now, the second part is you got take heed, which is the Hebrew word samar, and keep thy soul. That second word, keep, is the same Jewish or a Hebrew word, samar. So it, it really is, you could say, take heed to thyself and heed thy soul diligently. It's the same thing. Guard your soul diligently protect your soul diligently so that you remember that things won't depart from your heart, that you'll be able to teach these things to your children and your grandchildren, which is the rest of verse nine. <clears throat> verse 10, gather the people together, God says to Moses, and I will make them here. I just love to throw that in because if we're going to get to the promised land, the words of the prophets can come here in our minds. But if we're going to be able to make it to the promised land, it's the Spirit. It's God that makes us here in our heart, and they work together. Verse 14, Moses asked the Lord to teach you the statutes and judgment, judgments that ye might, another emphasis, do them. And then verse 15, another reiteration. Don't forget this. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves. And then there's a promise, an if-then promise. In verse 29 through 31, if thou shalt 
from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God. Then thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And now another if then. When thou art in tribulation, and all things are come upon thee, <clears throat> even in the latter days, today, you're having problems. You're in challenges. Even today, latter days, if, and I love this, if thou turn to Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice. I love that imagery of turning or turn back to or turn towards. <clears throat> Sometimes we'd say that's repent. The word repent. But so verse 31, here's the promise. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. Here's the then. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto them. I love that if and then. In the last days, you're in trials, you're in tribulation. Turn to the Lord. <clears throat> He'll not forsake thee. He won't forget the covenant, the covenant path you're on. He won't forget the promises he's made to you or your ancestors. President Russell Nelson, in speaking what was taught at General Conference, this is a summary. This is April 2020. He said, the whole summary of the conference can be summarized by two divinely decreed words. Quote, hear him. We pray that your focus on Heavenly Father who spoke those words and on his beloved son, Jesus Christ, will loom largest in your memories of all that has transpired. We pray that you will begin anew to hear, hearken to, and heed the words of the Savior. I promise that decreased fear and increased faith will follow. I see a lot of parallels with what Moses is saying and what President Nelson has taught us. The blessings of listening to, turning to God, paying attention, or being obedient will decrease fear in our life and increase faith as we follow the covenant path. And I just make this side note. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we, we talk about Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now, therefore, O Israel, hearken uh, unto the statutes and unto the judgments, which I teach you, and for to do them, that you may live and go in and possess the land of the Lord of God that your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add one unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. There is a commandment. Hey, here's the first five books of the, of the Bible. <clears throat> Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Now, if we say that literally, you, you probably have known this. It's kind of Moses saying everything after Deuteronomy doesn't count. But that's not the intent of what Moses is saying. If it's in there, don't be adding your little verses in there. Don't be scratching things out. Focus on what the Lord is saying. And the word to, to any prophet is valuable to us. You get that same warning, the end of the book of Revelation. I mean, from the context, you know it is from the book of Revelation. This is in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, the book of the prophecy, which is specifically book of Revelation, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. No, John the Revelator was not saying nothing else added to the Bible. He is saying, you get these words from the prophets, don't be adding things in, don't be taking things out. They are emphasizing what God wants to have emphasized. Same as Moses, same as John. I'd like that they say the same message. 
Now, the Come Follow Me reading starts when chapter 6. And verses 4 and 5 are two of the key verses in all the book of Deuteronomy. These are ones that are commanded by Moses to have them written in our hearts. We have to remember them. For those of the Jewish religion, they call this the Shema. The Shema refers to a couple lines in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, and it became a daily tradition, daily prayer in ancient Israel. Those verses are, verse 4, Hear, O Lord, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And some people read that verse and go, that is not the Old Testament. That's the New Testament. Oh, many years ago, I had a seminary council that wanted to have every year they do a theme for the year. And as they talked about, this took like four hours, different themes, what they wanted. They came across this verse and they, without really me, I, I figured this is your, you've been called, this is your inspiration. They picked verse five as their seminary council theme for the year, for the Old Testament. I remember after the theme was announced, I had someone come up to me and they said, uh, how did you let them choose that? Oh, what do you mean? That's not an Old Testament theme. That's a New Testament theme. I think that individual was mistaken that they're, they don't understand the purpose of what Moses is doing here. The Lord is saying, this is something I want you to remember. This is something I want you to maybe every day be teaching in your home everywhere. Because this is the theme, one of the great themes of the Old Testament. And there's other places where this is referred to, but verse now going to verse 6, Deuteronomy 6, 6, and these words, the love, the idea of love, which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, verse 7. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way. When thou liest down, and when thou risest up. <clears throat> and for many of the Jewish religion, they want to make sure they're visibly seen. And so they will get pieces of leather and wrap it around their forearms. And there'll be a box somewhere on a wrist. Sometimes they're going to call them uh, phylacteries or tefillin. There's also a part where they'll put a box on their foreheads and wrap it around in it is this prayer. So you get chapter 8, verse 6, and thou shalt bind them. These words, because inside there's a hollow container, and these words are inside there. For a sign upon thy hand, they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes. So if you maybe go and see someone who uh, is following, you go to Israel, you go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, and you'll see people with these boxes right here, you'll see them wrap, cords wrapped around, and inside are those words, a reminder to love God. And then also, verse 9, thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and upon thy gates. So you may go to a, a Jewish home, and right there on the side, as before you go in the, in the house, on the doorpost, you'll see a little rectangular box, and it may have the Star of David on it. But inside are those words. Moses wants them every day, every time you go in, in the house, every time you go out, 
I want it visibly on your forehead and, and on your hands. And I think more importantly, in your heart. A reminder to love God. Now, we don't wear phylacteries. We don't wear the telephalon. We don't place the little rectangular boxes, the mezuzahs, on door frames of our homes. But I do think we do something similar to remind ourselves every day of the Lord's commandments, to remind us of the covenant path, to remind us of Christ, to remind us to have that love in our hearts. Maybe sometimes it's a ring that has three letters on it, CTR. Maybe if you go into your home, you have a picture of a temple or vinyl something talking about the blessings of the temple are priceless. I don't think we should get so caught up in the symbol or like the ring or the picture that we forget what Moses wanted us to remember. As President Thomas S. Monson so well said, quote, love is the very essence of the gospel and Jesus Christ is our exemplar. Now, in chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3, Moses writes, All the commandments which I command thee this day shalt thou observe to do, that ye may live, and multiply, and go in and possess the land. Once again, I think there's dualistic meaning. It's not just this land, the promised land, a promised land, but the promised land. Keep the commandments of God. Do them, that you may live eternally and possess the land which the Lord swear unto their fathers to us as part of a covenant. Verse 2, and thou shalt remember all the ways which the Lord has, God has led thee. And he's gotten out of the wilderness for 40 years. And he's saying, remember the way God led you. And here's why. In verse 2, all these things, and they've been tough, have humbled you. And verse 2, proven you really to know what was in your heart in verse 2 whether you'd keep the commandments or not and then verse 3 and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna and manna is very symbolic of the word of god and it's a it's an object lesson and i think okay what's the object lesson of manna that moses wants to make sure and point out that you got to remember because you're not going to be getting manna anymore when you get in that promised land. But I want you to remember this lesson of the object lesson. And that's the end of verse 3. That he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the Lord, mouth of the Lord, doth man live. And you remember, I remember in Matthew chapter 4, where Christ is being tempted Verse 3 says, and when the tempter came to Christ, he said, if thou be the son of God. It's not are you, but if. You've got to prove yourself. If you're the son of God. And you've been fasting 40 days. Command that these stones be made bread. And verse 4 of Matthew chapter 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If you want to talk doctrinal mastery or scripture mastery verses, it's out of Deuteronomy, Christ quotes. Maybe as a part of his scripture mastery. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's also this warning. You know, he's focusing on the Ten Commandments. And that's like, not out of nowhere, but 
there's a danger that Moses perceives as they go into a promised land. The danger is affluence. Verse 10, when thou hast eaten and art full, bring God enough. Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Verse 11, Deuteronomy 8, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all thou hast has multiplied. Okay, summary. When you've been blessed with a lot of, of wealth, you're fluent. You've got houses and cattle and gold and silver. Verse 14, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. President Ezra Taft Benson quoted that similar thought from President Brigham Young. And I find that when a prophet quotes a prophet, we always should pay attention. President uh, Ezra Taft Benson said this, quote, every generation has its tests and its chance to stand out and prove itself. Would you like to know one of, the, our, of our toughest tests? Hear the warning words of President Brigham Young. And then he quotes Brigham Young, quote, the worst fear I have about this people is that they will get rich in this country, forget God and his people, wax fat, and kick themselves out of the church and go to hell. This people will stand mobbing, robbing, poverty, and all manner of persecution and be true. But my greatest fear is that they cannot stand wealth. End of Brigham Young's quote. And President Benson continues. Do you know what peace and prosperity can do to a people? It can put them to sleep. And I think that's maybe a danger that we always have to be aware of. Forgetting God because we have a little too much blessings in our life. Now, skipping to chapter 15. I love verse 7. If It's just talking about people who maybe are not blessed, who don't have the same uh, blessings financially, economically, as we do. If there be any among you a poor man, and what of thy brethren with, within any of thy gates of the land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee, thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thy hand from thy poor brethren. But thou shalt open thy hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need, in that he, it doesn't say needeth, it says wanteth. I'm going to come back to that wanteth here in a minute. Let me just skip down to verse 10. Thou shalt surely give him. Verse 11. Thou shalt open thy hand wide unto thy brethren, to the poor and to thy needy in thy land. I once had kind of a, a, a scripture of the day that appeared. And uh, I don't remember if I was just searching it, but it just kind of came up. And it was Mosiah 4.26. In the scripture of the day, it was this, quote, Impart of your substance to the poor, every man according to that which he hath, such as the feeding of the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, and ministering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally. And that was the end. The last four words of that verse is according to their wants. I think there's something in that, because sometimes when I'm being judgmental, I say, ah, 
man, do they really need it? And, and, I, and, I, and I see a homeless person and they've got the sign. And I think, I don't know. Do they need it? Do I have something to give? And I love King Benjamin. I love his advice. So this is Mosiah chapter four, three verses from it. So verse 24. And again, I say to the poor, ye who have not yet have sufficient that you retain, remain from day to day. I mean, all of you who deny the beggar because you have not. I would that you say in your hearts, I give not because I have not. But if I had, I would give. So verse 26 and 27, now, for the sake of these things which I have spoken unto you, that is, for the sake of remaining, retaining a remission of your sins from day to day, that you may walk guiltless before God, I would that you should impart part of your substance to the poor, every man according to that which he hath, such as the feeding of the hungry, clothing of the naked, visiting the sick, and ministering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally. And I pause there. Because sometimes our focus is so much on the temporal needs. Don't forget the spiritual. And maybe the spiritual was mentioned first. So both spiritual and temporally according to their wants. And verse 27. And see all these things are done in wisdom and order. For it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. And again, it is expedient that he should be diligent. That thereby he may win the prize. Therefore all things must be done in order. One of the things that's helped me is I know that there's a way that I can give to the poor and the needy. That's an inspired way. I know that every penny is going to be used by somebody who has priesthood keys and is under an inspiration of the Lord to be able to distribute that money as the Lord would see fit. And that's fast offerings. And one of the things that, that I love, and this is in 2020, there was a, uh, little groups, couple of individuals talked about church's finances. And the presiding bishopric offered a glimpse into the church's finances. And one of the things that they revealed is the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints gives out a billion dollars a year in humanitarian and welfare spending. Yeah, the church has it and they give it. And I've been very, very grateful for that. I have served as a bishop. I have seen how that blesses people's lives. And I felt when the Lord has said, give more. And in my ward, we had opportunities to give to people who were members and some who were not. And it felt right both, both ways. And I know the church does that as well. They're giving a lot of money to people, whether they're members or not. I love what the church does with their finances. We are so blessed to be a part of one of church, one of church that is so giving. Now, segueing a little bit, I did a Google search. Now, I'm not saying if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of Google. Okay, that's not what I'm saying here. But I did a Google search. I just want to see. My Google search was the question, are there prophets in our day? There were over 36 million pages that Google said related to that question. I read quite a few of them because I know one of these chapters focuses on prophets, the need of prophets. And Moses talks about the need of prophets for all of us. 
So I'm curious what modern day Christians, Christianity is saying. And there are quite a few places that just essentially said, no, we don't need any more prophets. We have all of God's revelation already. We don't need any more. So from one Christian website, quote, today we are blessed not to need prophets because we have no gaps in understanding left to fill. We know that because he eventually closed off the need for prophecy by allowing us to have everything we need within the pages of the Bible. And the next paragraph stated, quote, however, there's great debate among Christians whether prophecy still exists today. Christ honoring people on both sides disagree whether this supernatural gift like prophecy has ceased, and we may never find complete agreement on this side of heaven. As I read the article, there's really, he was saying, the gifts of the Spirit are gone. We don't need them anymore. There are some people who still believe in them, and there's some debate we'll never know for sure. I read another, another site, I quote from it, about is there a need for modern-day prophet? Quote, the short answer is no. There are no prophets today. If what you mean by a prophet is a person who supplies new revelation from God. Then a little while later, he said, but there is prophecy that there will be two prophets in the last days that will be able to do unfakeable miracles to prove they're genuine prophets and refer to Revelation chapter 11, verse 3 through 12. And I thought, okay, you said there's none, but then there's a prophecy of Gergamy, son, and you believe that prophecy. The New York Times had an article in 2021. The title of it was, Christian Prophets Are on the Rise. What happens when they're wrong? And it gave a couple of examples of people who profess to be Christian prophets, and they were wrong. And what do you do when you know that someone's wrong? Well, Deuteronomy 18 is, in short, there's a need for prophets. And here's how to know if they are a true prophet or a wrong prophet. Here's the answer to the New York Times. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. Like unto me, says Moses, unto him shall ye hearken. Hey, this is what's going to happen. And then skipping to verse 18. I will raise up to them a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And now here's a test. Will you know if a prophet is a true prophet or not? It's come to pass. Whosoever shall not hearken unto my words, through which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, now this is a false prophet, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say, shall say in thy heart, verse 21, how shall we know the word of the Lord? How do we know which one's the true prophet? Verse 22, here's the answer, Times, New York Times. When a prophet speaketh the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is a thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. If they say something and they prophesy and it doesn't happen, you can know that's of their own will. That's not of God. They're not a true prophet. There is a gospel classic talk. It's one of my all-time favorite talks given by President Hubie Brown. Hubie Brown gave this talk 
called a profile of a prophet to Brigham Young University, October 4th, 1955. And it was republished in the Enzyme in 2006, I think June 2006. President Hubie Brown of the First Presidency described a conversation which he had with a member of the British House of Commons and a former justice of the Supreme Court of England, who was not a member of the church, about the need for living prophets and the revelation they receive. Quote, I said, I'm submitting to you in all seriousness, that it was standard procedure in the Bible times for God to talk to men. He responded, I think I'll admit that but it stopped shortly after the first century of the Christian era. Why do you think it stopped? I can't say. Do you think God hasn't spoken since then? Not to my knowledge. May I suggest some possible reasons why he's not spoken? Perhaps it's because he cannot. He's lost the power. He said, of course, that would be blasphemous. Well then, if you don't accept that, perhaps he doesn't speak to men because... He doesn't love us anymore. He's no longer interested in the affairs of men. No, he said, God loves all men, and he's no respecter of persons. Well, then the only other possible answer I see is that we don't need him. We've made such rapid strides in education and science, we don't need God anymore. And then he said, and his voice trembled as he thought of the impending war, World War II, Mr. Brown. There was never a time in the history of the world when the voice of God was needed as it is needed now. Perhaps you can tell me why he doesn't speak. My answer was, said Hubie Brown, he does speak. He has spoken, but men need faith to hear him. And I know God has a prophet today, and he does speak. Because in our generation, our time right now, we have a very great need to hear the word of God to us today. The rest of the talk, he proceeds to just to define, here's the profile of a prophet. They got together, and here's some things that if it's a true prophet, here's what they would do. And as they go this back and forth, that profile of a prophet fits our prophets today. I'd highly recommend profile of a prophet in June, Enzyme 2006, pages 36 to like 39, to just look at what Hubie Brown writes as the profile prophet. And as you go through each one, and Hubie Brown testifies, we both know Joseph Smith fits that profile of prophet and was a true prophet of God. As the Israelites prepared to enter the promised land, God wants to prevent them from spreading a spiritual sickness among them that would have eternal consequences. And so the last sermon that Moses gives gives a few reminders. Now, leading up to it, this is not part of our Come Follow Me reading. Chapter 22 talks about, hey, what do you do with other people's properties? Make sure you're respectful. And here's some things about dress and appearance. And there's some laws about protecting victims of sexual assault. Chapter 24, here's some laws about caring for people in need. 26, law of tithing. It's back in the Old Testament, New Testament. It's today. It's there. And then we get to chapter 27 to 34. And as the Lord takes them in, he wants to do something, an object lesson. So he takes them to a mount. Well, there's two mounts. One on this slide would be Mount Ebal. And it's going to be called the Mount of Cursing. On this other side is the Mount Gerizim. This is the Mount of Blessing. And what the Lord does, he says, okay, half the tribes, you're on one, one mount. 
the other half, the other mount. And he has the Levites bringing the Ark of Covenant right in the middle. And the, there's acoustic properties where you're in the middle, you can say things. And what he's going to have is they're going to read some things, some blessings and cursings. Now, if you read blessings, those on the Mount of Blessings, Mount Gerizim is going to say, Amen. And when they read cursings, it's Mount Ebal. They are going to say, Amen. So sometimes as I, if I'm teaching this in class, I just as a pause, I'll put them in pairs and I'll say, okay, number one, you read the first part of chapter 28, two through 14. Look for all the blessings. And they'll go through and, and I just, I, I tell them, I want you in just a minute to summarize the, some of the blessings and they'll look, you know, and they'll just say, hey, the Lord's going to bless you above all their nations, verse one, and all these blessings, your city will be blessed. And the verse two of fruit, and your cattle and your flocks and wherever you go and verse 18, your storehouses and everything you do, you're going to be a holy people. You're going to be called of God. Verse 20, 11, plenty of good, good things. Verse 12, good treasures. There's a whole list of blessings. If you keep the commandments. And then 15 to 25. Okay, what's all the negatives? Verse 15, if you don't listen and obey God. Got a lot of curses. Your cities, your fields, your fruits, your lands, your flocks. All these things will have a curse on them. So then I just say, okay, in pairs you've done that. One sentence. What principles God teaching Israel? To the object lesson and the words. Maybe it's simply, if we choose to obey all of God's commandments, he'll bless us in all areas of our lives. If we choose not to obey all of God's commandments, we lose the blessings he desires to give to us. As President Russell M. Nelson has said, quote, have faith to keep all the commandments of God, knowing that they are given to bless his children and bring them joy. You will encounter people who pick which commandments they will keep and ignore others they choose to break. I call this the cafeteria approach to obedience. This practice of picking and choosing will not work. It will lead to misery. To prepare to meet God, one keeps all of his commandments. And once again, isn't that Moses' purpose? Not to prepare them for a promised land, but the promised land. And so maybe as a summary, chapter 30, verses 15 and 16. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil. In the night command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, and his statutes and judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land, whither thou goest, to possess it. And then I love the encouragement. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Now, I pause there. I'm going to tell you a quote from President Nelson. Quote, a theme in the scriptures requisite to, for significant accomplishment is difficult to summarize in one word. So I, so I shall link two to describe it, strength and courage. Repeatedly, scriptures yoke these attributes of character together, especially when difficult challenges are to be conquered. So back to the verse. I'll start it again. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, 
he it is that do that doth go with thee he will not fail thee nor forsake thee and then moses writes what we call the song of moses he's going to sing it i'm not musical but i do know that you can say things with emotion and emphasis in a song that you can't by just saying it and i love that moses does that and a couple of the favorite i would say little stanzas of his song 32 verse 4 he christ is the rock and i remembered moses the other object, another object lesson where he strikes the rock and water comes out. He is that rock. We can build on him. When he is stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, it's a part of his atonement. And living water comes out. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. And Deuteronomy chapter 4 skipping to verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the land of which Moab, over against Beth Pur. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. That was not originally written by Moses, it appears. At least that's what the prophets teach us. Even historians like Josephus note that that was not the case. Josephus noted, quote, Moses exhorted those that were near him that they would not render his departure so lamentable. And as he was going to embrace Eleazar and Joshua, and was still discourse, discoursing with them, a cloud stood over him on the sudden, and he disappeared in a certain valley, although he wrote in the holy books that he died. As it says in Alma 45.18, now this is speaking of Amal, Am, Alma and the comparisons made to Moses. And when Alma had departed, had done this, he departed out of the land of Zarahemla, as if to go to the land of Malak. And it came to pass that he was never heard of more. As to his death or burial, we know not of. Behold, this we know, that he was a righteous man. And the saying went abroad in the church, he was taken up by the Spirit, or buried by the hand of the Lord, even as Moses. But behold, the Scriptures saith, the Lord took Moses unto himself. And we suppose that he has also received Alma in the Spirit unto them himself. Therefore, for this cause we know nothing concerning his death, and burial. President Joseph Fielding Smith explained why Moses was translated. Quote, Moses, like Elijah, was taken up without tasting death because he had a mission to perform. When Moses and Elijah came to the Savior and to Peter, James, and John upon the mount, what was their coming for? Was it just some spiritual manifestation to strengthen those three apostles? Or did they come merely to come give comfort to the Son of Man in his ministry and to prepare him for his crucifixion? No, that was not the purpose. I'll read it to you. The prophet Joseph Smith had explained it as follows, quote, now quoting prophet Joseph Smith. The priesthood is everlasting. The Savior, Moses and Elias, or Elijah, gave the keys to Peter, James, and John on the mount when they were transfigured before him. The priesthood is everlasting without beginning of days or end of years, without father, mother, and so forth. If there is no change of ordinances, there is no change of priesthood. Wherever the ordinances of the gospel are administered, there is the priesthood. Christ is the great high priest. Adam next. Well, thanks for spending a little time with me today. And if I could just say, maybe here's some emphasis for me that I got out of, out of the book, studying the book of Deuteronomy. Because I love Isaiah. If you want to understand Isaiah, 
make sure you understand Deuteronomy. Two, we have these little, little verse, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And encouragement is to have it written in our hearts. How's that written in your heart? And in your home, where love we hopefully have spoken there. And, you know, there's a part in the middle of, of Deuteronomy where it talks about the importance of prophets. When was the last time that you knew that a prophet had spoken as a prophet like Moses? How did you know that? Now, that may just have been a little while ago, a month or two ago at General Conference, where you listened to President Nelson. Maybe it's been a little while longer. But I invite you, as you listen to the prophet, know that he speaks for the Lord. And you can feel that, not just know it here in your heart, mind, but in your heart too. And hey, if you're musically talented, take a go at it. Write a song like Moses did. Summarize what you think Moses would want us to remember. And for those of you who are like me, maybe one thing you can do in your scripture journals is some, make one, one sentence or maybe one paragraph summary. If Moses was here, what would he want to make sure that we understood from the first five books of Moses? What would he want us to remember? Maybe that's not one sentence or one paragraph. Maybe it's a whole page. But in doing that reflection, it may give you an opportunity to further remember and have those truths, truths go deeper into your heart. Thanks a lot for spending a little bit of time with me on this podcast with Cedar Fort Books. For Deuteronomy, hopefully I focused on chapters 6 through 8, 15, 18, 19, 30, and then finally 34. Have a lovely day. Keep smiling. Isaiah, a prophet's prophet's teachings are designed to help students of the scriptures increase their understanding of the words of Isaiah. His writings persuade us to believe in Christ, and they give hope to us in our day. Through the words of modern-day prophets and apostles we are given added clarification, guidance, and encouragement to assist in this effort. Written by Robert Miller a full-time seminary teacher for the last 27 years. He has also taught Institute, Adult Religion, and BYU-Idaho online classes. He received a PhD in 2001 in Instructional Psychology and Technology. Robert gives incredible insight into the sometimes difficult teachings of Isaiah. Isaiah a Prophet's Prophet. Find it at cedarfort.com.